0: My name is Jaden, and I am part of the next Gen here at Eaglemont Church, so being relatively new to the game of preaching when Pastor Marlowe offered for Brennan and I to preach this morning, we were pretty excited to show off the skills that we had learned at Bible College. so as we began writing, we learned that we actually have none, and short from quitting, we had no option but to just go for it we legitimately had a conversation where we're like, how do you start a sermon? Like, three, two, one, go. Like, do you just kind of jump into it? I wish I was kidding. But (laughs) from the perspective of a financial supporter of Vanguard College, you would think that the money that goes to the school would produce very well-rounded, intelligent sermon introductions. You'd think that these students, after four years of rigorous study, would leave and be completely ready to start pastoring the church. From my perspective, however... Four years of rigorous study taught me that you only need four hours of sleep a night. And you can do a 13-page paper in only a matter of hours if you're okay with a C. (laughs) Perspective is everything. It's the lens that we see every part of life through. And that's why um, one person, like that one person from work that traveled to Thailand in the five-star resort and now is so convinced That everything in life is different, and everything, they see it through a new light, and you're like, okay, like, whatever. But it's true. While annoying, they're not wrong. Any new experience or going outside your norm will change your perspective. Travel is probably the easiest example of this. When we see how other parts of the world live and how different it is from our way of life, we realize that our perspective really isn't the full picture of what the world is. We have a very narrow view on our world and how life is for other people until you go and experience something different that challenges the way you live and think. And if you don't do this, your perspective will always stay the same. Our narrow understanding in life can keep us from experiencing all that life really has for us. And there's one perspective that if too narrow will keep us from the ultimate truth and joy, and there's one thing that if we can fully understand it will drastically shape our world and change how we live. That's the cross. For some their perspective on the cross might mean Christianity. It might remind them of Easter. It might be just a cool necklace that lots of people wear or even just a tattoo that they have. Uh, Maybe for some it just seems like a nice idea and that the fact that someone died for all the wrongdoings of the world seems like something that is a pretty cool thing, but it doesn't really change their day-to-day. This distant perspective of the cross only captures a small part of what the cross was. There's a lot to understand about why the cross is so powerful and impactful, so let's start at what the cross was at the time of Jesus. The cross was a way of execution for the lowest criminals due to the painful and torturous nature of it. The criminal was hung from the cross from their hands, being nailed to the wooden beams and tied at the wrists, as well as their feet being put one on top of the other and nails driven through those as well. The cause of death upon the cross was typically suffocation from the weight of the body being pulled downward and not having the strength to pull yourself up enough to breathe. This takes time and makes it long. Not only did the cross give the convicted a slow and painful death, but it also was a great way to humili- like humiliate and shame those who were upon it. All who witnessed a crucifixion were reminded of the power of the governing authorities. So, Jaden, why are you bringing such a lovely thought to our mind on this long weekend? Well, because when I take time and actually think about the story of Christ dying on the cross in the New Testament, my entire perspective changes. No matter how many times I hear it and reflect on it, when I learn a little more and it becomes a little clearer in my eyes, it changes how I want to live my life. It makes me want to be better. The cross that was built for me and my sins, someone came and took the place instead. I was sentenced to death and eternity in hell through my mistakes. But someone loved me so much that they chose to take the death that I deserved so that I could live freely with God. Jesus was sentenced to die on the cross after the people of Jerusalem demanded it. A completely innocent man who lived a perfect life was sentenced to die on my cross. Understanding why someone had to die on a cross begins by looking at the Old Testament. The whole story of the Bible is basically just a story of human failure, but unending grace. Starting with a man and a woman called Adam and Eve, they were created in a completely sinless garden and told that the only thing they were not allowed to have is the fruit from one specific tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It seems pretty fair when in a garden full of amazing trees producing fruit. However, Satan came disguised as a serpent and tricked Eve into thinking that if she ate from this tree, she would not die, but would have all the knowledge that God himself had. So here's a little Sunday tip. If a snake starts talking to you, don't do what the snake says. I also suggest seeing a psychiatrist, but at the very least, don't listen to the snake. Romans 5.14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Adam and Eve were the ones who introduced sin into the world, but the people of the Old Testament really took it and ran with it. God's chosen people were given laws to follow. They were giving amazing acts of God, where God saved them from starvation and from war, and again and again provided for them. But they always turned away and sinned. Even the best people in the Old Testament still made huge mistakes. Moses was one of the best leaders, but he disobeyed God and wasn't able to go into the promised land. David was called a man after God's own heart, and he ended up committing adultery and tried to cover it up with murder. Solomon was given wisdom from God and was the wisest man in the world, but he still disobeyed God and was consumed by lust and followed other gods. The, old, the people in the Old Testament failed the will of God and were forced to pay the price, either with their own lives or with an animal sacrifice to take their place, because the wage of sin is innocent blood. Since the moment Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, all people were born with a sinful nature and sin in their hearts. We're all corrupt people who do evil things. Uh, we really shouldn't, like, it shouldn't come as a shock when we look at the world that people are sinful. We look at the time of Hitler in concentration camps. You look at ISIS and the war going on in Syria. Even in Canada today, there's neglect and ostracism of indigenous people as well as so many other issues that just prove that our world is completely plagued with sin. From the way we gossip about one another to the extremes of murder, this sin has left us um, out of our rightful standing with God and left a a chasm that we could not cross back to his love. As I said before, the wage of sin is innocent blood, and there is no one on this earth that is innocent. When we sin against God, we are deserving of death that seems really harsh, but it truly is a testament to how perfect and holy God is. God cannot exist with sin, so when we are sinful, we cannot live with God. We are no longer deserving of the amazing life that he has given us. There is sin in each of our hearts, regardless of how good a person we are. Let's take a minute of self-reflection. We're selfish by nature, we lie easy, we hate, we hold grudges. No amount of good deeds or good thoughts that we have could save us from this. Humanity is broken, and we could never live a life good enough to work our way into a relationship with God. We all need a perfect sacrifice. So here's the craziest part. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's from Romans 5, 6 to 8. The Jesus Christ that was sentenced to death on the cross by the people of Jerusalem was the only man to ever walk this earth that was sinless. And that's because he was completely man, but also completely God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was sent to earth as a man to live and die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Only innocent blood could take the place of a sinner, sinner, and this could only be Christ. Later on in chapter 5, it says, The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Romans 5 to 8 is crazy to me, because it says some very important things that we need to look at and shift our perspective on. The most obvious thing would be that Christ didn't die for only the righteous, and because they were deserving of it, but he died for all the dark parts of us. He looked at our lives and saw all the things we would do wrong and all the ways we would betray him, and he still decided that that was worth giving his life for. He looked at those who will turn their back on him and spit on his name, and he died for them. He chose to die for people that will never be worthy of him and will fail and disappoint him daily. But even when we're looking at like, each failure that we have in our lives and each time we disappoint and hurt him, He willingly went to the cross to die the horrific death in order for us to have the chance to accept for the forgiveness and the love that God gives us. There is nothing we ever could have done to deserve this love, but he still gave it for us. He lived the perfect life that we would never be able to so that it could be applied to us. It blows my mind when I think about this. What a poor investment it seems. I feel God daily, and yet he still looked at me and thought I was worth dying for. All the times I turned my back on him, all the times that I had the choice of honoring him and yet still chose myself, he looked at that and thought, I love this person so much that that's worth my life. Christ died for us when we were still sinners, and that's incredible. But I think we need to look even deeper than that. He died for each and every person because he was God completely and man completely, but we need to realize that he would have done it for us alone. When we look at the big perspective of Christ died on the cross and it saved the whole world, that seems pretty reasonable to me. I would like to think that if I had the choice between my life and the life of thousands, that I would choose to lose my own life to save the many. It's almost like a no-brainer. If someone was to tell you that you could die in order to completely eradicate cancer, I think most of us would like to think we'd take it. But would you say the same thing if you were told that you could die to save the person that killed your brother? Would you still do it for the one at that point? I heard it explained like this. A man comes into your child's school with a gun and kills your child. Now, for me, a lifetime in jail almost doesn't seem like enough of a punishment. But what Jesus did on the cross is almost like taking the man who killed your child and forgiving him. Once you forgave him, you go and you take his place in jail. While you're in jail, he moves into your house, spends your money, enjoys your vacation that you've planned with your family, and spends enough time there until he can get back on his feet. You take the punishment of the man who killed your child while he lives freely in the life that you've made for yourself. Even this is such a low scale compared to what was actually done on the cross. But it gives us a little picture of what it could be like. Jesus died for each one of us alone. His love is so perfect that if you were the only person on earth, he still would have done it. It's so easy to look around at other people and think that they're, like, we're so much better than them that, really, Christ didn't die for my sins. He died for these other bad people. But my sin was enough to nail him to that cross alone. Um, Christ had to die on the cross and take my place because each time we've sinned and failed, it caused the need for him to have to come and do that. When we look at the cross with too broad of a perspective, we lose sight of what the cross really means. It wasn't done as a blanket move to save all people. It was done specifically with you in mind so that the creator of this world could have a relationship with you. Romans 5, 9-10 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We've been reconciled to God through the death of Christ on the cross, and that changes everything. Knowing exactly what Christ has done for us alone should remind us daily that we should live in a way that honors the sacrifice that he made. It should completely change everything about our lives. Do we realize that the life we live is because Jesus died for us? Do we realize that our lives have so much more value and that we are part of God's family because of this? Do we live knowing how much Jesus loves us? I think this would change our entire perspective on life if more people did this, and it would change the desires of our hearts to be better for him. I hope that this gives a little bit of a different perspective for you. The cross was for you and was done for you alone. While this doesn't mean that we won't fail, I do pray that it serves as a reminder in our lives that living our best and most godly life is the best way we can honor for what Christ has done for us on the cross.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brennan. I'm the worship director here at Eagle Mons, and I'm also part of the Next Gen team with Jaden and Jeff. Um, so, let's get into the second part of the sermon. Uh, now that we've explored Jesus' amazing love and sacrifice for you, now that we are hopefully filled with hope and love because we know and understand that Jesus died for you so that he can have a relationship with you, and we understand that the cross is the culmination of that love. You know, there's no greater sacrifice, there's no greater act of love that has ever happened or will ever happen. With that in our hearts, we're going to turn things around. Because although the cross is absolutely for you, it's also not for you. Meaning this, If we stay at the point where the cross is only for us, we miss out on the full calling that Jesus has for us. Jaden was reading from Romans 5. I'll be reading from Romans 6 in the NIV translation if you want to follow along or it will be up on the screen. So, Romans 6, starting on verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Okay, so let's stop there for now. So, Paul is continuing from the last chapter. In the last chapter, Paul says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Meaning God can forgive all sin, but if if he forgives, let's say, one person for a lie and another person for a murder, the grace is greater for the greater sin, for the greater debt. But Paul then responds to this idea by saying just because grace increases when our sin increases does not when when our sin increases does not mean that we should feel free to sin. Uh, Paul's saying that because it likely would have been a problem in the Roman church. You know, people sinning and then saying, it's okay, God will forgive me. And that's just so backwards. If we're Christians and we follow Christ, we claim to love him. We claim to serve him. Could you imagine someone who claims they love someone being like, oh, it's okay. I can do this because they'll they'll forgive me. I think that's kind of like 101 on how to destroy relationships. So relationship advice, don't do that. But Paul's addressing this because it shows their heart. It shows that their heart's not loving. It's out of, their decisions are out of sin and selfishness. So Paul's saying, yeah, God's grace is great, but that's no reason to sin, and here's why. The next few verses. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, Jaden spoke about the cross, and the sacrifice and the death of Jesus. But just as important as his death was his resurrection. Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen fourteen, he says, if Jesus has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It is Jesus' resurrection that broke the power of sin and death. It's his resurrection that brings so much power to our lives and it's his resurrection that brings us hope for the future beyond this life when we will be in heaven. That's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians 55 or 15, 55, says, Where, O death, is your victory. Where, O death, is your sting. See, He can say that, and we can say that, because we share in Jesus' resurrection. There's no fear or power in death, and that's what Jesus has done for you. Also, in those verses I just read, uh, Paul shows here how baptism is an amazing symbol and reminder for the life we have in Christ uh, baptized in the original language just meant to immerse or to get put underwater pretty much and brought back up, you know, hopefully. Um, it seems like a weird thing to do, but, but really, Jesus just tells his disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them. It's a commandment. It's a, it's a part of living a Jesus-based life because it represents what Jesus has done in your life. It's a reminder of his death and resurrection as you go down to the water and come back up, and it's a reminder of our death and resurrection Our sin being washed away, our old self dying, and us coming back into new life. So when I read those verses, the question I found myself asking is this. Am I walking in new life? If my old self is crucified, if I'm no longer a slave to sin, then am I walking in new life? If you believe that Jesus was resurrected and you follow him, then you are also resurrected. So are you walking accordingly? I think this is what Paul is pointing towards. He's saying, hey, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you have also died and come back in new life. So do your actions match what you believe? He starts the chapter, hey, don't sin because God's grace is great. And then he continues in the next few verses. He says, or don't you know your old sinful self has died? Don't you know you've been baptized? Don't you know you've been washed clean? Don't you know you've been given new life? So are you walking in new life? Well, to answer that fully, we need to know what new life in Christ means. And um, I think it's this. Like, when Jesus died and rose again, he forgave us and justified us before God. When we accept that forgiveness, we're made perfect and whole before God. So the new life that Jesus gave us is this. Is that God's presence lives inside of us. Heaven and earth come together like it's meant to be. God lives in a close relationship with us like it was meant to be at the beginning, like it will be at the end. And through this power, through God living in us and through us, that is how we are completely transformed so that we can follow Jesus. That's new life. And Jesus is clear about what his followers must do. People living in this new life, what they must do. In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his, sake, his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Okay, so let me get this straight. I've been given new life so that I can pick up a cross. Jesus' disciples would have known what he meant. A cross meant death. A cross meant carrying the thing that will kill you. To the death, to the place where you'll be put to death. And Jesus says, Come to me, have new life. So it's like, oh, here's new life. Oh, thanks, Jesus. All right, now go pick up your cross and die. No, what I don't want to do that. That doesn't that doesn't really make what? That doesn't make sense. I don't want to pick up my cross. I wanted new life. I wanted my life to be easy. I wanted it to be comfortable. I wanted my life to be normal with maybe just a little bit of church sprinkled in. Like not too much, not every week. That's like a little crazy, but just a little bit. I wanted to walk around in this new life like I'm better than everyone. Isn't that what it's about? I don't want to pick up my cross. Why would I do that? Why would I want to do that? And the only answer I can give is because Jesus did. See, when we come to the cross, it needs to change our perspective. When we look at what Jesus did, here is God. God himself, humbling himself, coming down from heaven. You know, in all his glory and riches, he's coming down and made poor for you. He's coming down and dying for you. That's the example he's setting for us. We didn't deserve what Jesus did. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve to be washed clean from our sin. But the gift that Jesus gave us was so amazing that we should be willing to pick up our cross. We should be willing to follow him, to do anything to follow him and have a relationship with him. See, picking up your cross is painful. It's uncomfortable. Picking up your cross means sacrifice. It means dying to yourself and what you want. And for many Christians around the world, it does actually mean death. The greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Jesus says, if you love me, If you follow me, then pick up your cross. The cross needs to change our perspective. This act of love and sacrifice calls for a response. So what is our response? Let's continue on in Romans 11 to 14. It says, In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's something important that is unpacked in these verses. It says, if you serve sin, you cannot serve Jesus. You can only have one master, either sin is what is guiding your decisions or its obedience to Jesus. So to follow and love Jesus, we need to deal with sin. You know, our anger, our, our lust, our greed, our sin, these things that, that drive us to make decisions opposite of what Jesus wants, those are our masters. And a lot of times, we, you know, we don't want to give up those desires. We don't want to give up those pleasures of this world. Or sometimes we do, but we feel trapped. But Paul reminds us, he says, no, remember, you are dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one way to true life. True life with God living inside of you. Let's remember that we are dead to sin and alive in Jesus. The verses that I was just reading say, offer yourself to God. Give yourself as an instrument of righteousness. The cross calls for a response from us, and that's our response. Where we live a life that's no longer about us. It's no longer about what we want, but we offer ourselves to God to be holy instead. See, we are called to something so much greater, and the life of a Christ follower is the best life you can have. I fully believe that. It's the only way to God, but it is absolutely hard. So count the cost. You need to know that the life of a Christ follower is not easy. But I'm telling you this, and I wholeheartedly believe it—that it's worth it. You know, I wouldn't go four years of Bible college (laughs) if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't believe that wholeheartedly. It is the truth to life. Let's continue reading on in Romans. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So Paul uses really strong language here. He says, you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves. A slave has a master. A slave doesn't do what they want to do, but they follow and obey someone else. And, uh, you know, this may rub us the wrong way, especially with, like, our North American context of slavery and racism, but uh, slavery was a little bit different back then, but that's not the point. The point that Paul is making is everyone serves someone or something, So Paul is saying everyone is a slave. You either are a slave to sin or you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You can choose to serve sin or to serve and be obedient to Jesus. The cross calls you to a life that's not for you, but a life of a slave and a servant. And after all this, you might be asking like, okay, how do I do this? How do I change? Like I've been saying, you know, you need to give up sin. You need to pick up your cross you need to love God and love those around you. But what you have to understand is that you can never do this alone. No matter how many times um, like we're told or you know how many times we hear it, how many times someone tells you to be a better person, that never actually works. Because we're sinful and broken. We're going to fail again and again and again and constantly fall short of what we're trying to achieve. But it's only through Jesus working through you that you can do this. We're broken, we're sinful, and without Jesus, we can never be like him. But because Jesus loves you, he will use you in spite of your faults and failures. That's the amazing thing, is that he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for willing people. He's looking for people who are willing to sacrifice for him. We need Jesus' help to be more like him. Only through him can we resist sin and follow him in obedience. Only through him can we choose to take that step, one step at a time, stepping into sacrifice. That's how I think the Christian life is actually summed up, is stepping into sacrifice. Do you want to live a life like Jesus and have an impact in this world, and see the people around you transformed and come to know Jesus? You need to step into sacrifice. You know, if the time you spend reading your Bible and praying is easy, or something in, just in the back of your mind, and it's not really a priority, you need to step into sacrifice. And grow in that. If your giving is easy, you can step into sacrifice and surrender more to God. If the time you spend serving in church or serving others in various ways, caring for others, loving for others is easy, you can step into sacrifice and grow in that. Were you ruled by sin? You can step into sacrifice, you can step into forgiveness and surrender that to God. You know, have you gotten comfortable and just stayed the same and been okay with never growing? You can step into sacrifice. And trust me, I'm preaching to myself. No one's perfect. I'm far from perfect. I need this reminder just like everyone else. We need to constantly examine our lives. We need to look at the cross and look at our lives through the cross. What is it calling us to? We need to let Jesus transform us and let him change us. You know, what does it mean to pick up your cross when sometimes our lives are comfortable? I think it means... Sacrifice. Sacrificing what you want for the good of others. Sacrificing what you want to serve Jesus, the one you love. God isn't expecting you to be Mother Teresa by tomorrow. That's not how life works. But God calls us to a life of sacrifice. A life where our daily goal is to be more like Jesus. So are you taking those steps? When we look at the cross, every time we read our Bible, every time we meet for church or in a small group, when we pray, every time we take communion like we're going to do right away. In every moment of every day, we need to examine our lives and ask, how am I stepping into sacrifice? We need to remember the words of Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me.
2: The song that we just sang, it is finished. Those were words that Jesus spoke on the cross. To say that everything that needed to be done, everything that needed to be done for you and I to know God, our Creator, personally and eternally was finished. Yes. There's nothing I can add to that. Nothing I need to do to be better. And we heard that message this morning. That's awesome. That's not religion. That's, that's relationship that God offers us by His grace. Right now in this moment, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as the, the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sin, as your, as your Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. Look His direction in your heart and say, God, I've, I've heard the message today. What you gave up for me, Father, in sending your Son, and Jesus in coming voluntarily, stepping in, to take death upon yourself so I could live eternally and personally with you. Phenomenal. I receive that gift. I trust you. I trust what you did on the cross. An expression like that. Say, God, I need your salvation. I receive it now by faith. Some of you might be doing that right now in your heart, your mind, and I pray, if you've never done that, I I pray and I hope that you will today. By doing that, you, you have stepped into this this thing called living a a, a Jesus centered life a Jesus based life walking with the one who created you who knows you best and loves you most it's a beautiful thing And I know people in this crowd who have done that fairly recently it's awesome heaven celebrates because of that we celebrate because of that today might be your day if it is I want you to talk to God right now just in the quiet of these moments tell him you want to trust him tell him you want his uh, gift of eternal life tell him you want to step in to this relationship with him take these moments to make that decision to make that commitment to give him your future to give him your sin to give him your failure to receive his forgiveness to move on in this life and into eternity with him in heaven. Take that step of faith right now in your heart. Invite him to be your friend, your forgiver, your leader. God, I thank you. If there's someone that, or more than somebody, I mean there's whoever, one or 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 20 does God you died for all of us, and I, we just want to express thanks for every person who may have made that commitment right now in these moments. May they know your love deeply. May they sense your awareness keenly, acutely. May they know you're there and begin to walk with you in fellowship and communion and connection with people in the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord.